This is Suno India Production. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now. Every year the union budget is presented on February 1st. This year one of the highlights was the increase in personal income tax lab especially targeted towards the middle class. Now I come to what everyone is waiting for. <laughs> personal income tax. I have five major announcements to make in this regard. These primarily benefit our hard working middle class. The first one concerns rebate. Currently, those with income up to 5 lakh do not pay any income tax in both old and new regimes. I propose to increase the rebate limit to 7 lakhs. The government also announced an increase in the budget towards capital infrastructure in road, transport and highways, defense and railways particularly. Some argue that the budget is anti-poor, especially with the severe cuts made in the flagship Narega program that is Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Act that promises 100 days of labor to the rural poor. There are also criticisms about cuts in the health sector, nutrition, water and sanitation. Hello, I'm Menaka Rao, the host of this episode of the Suno India show. In this podcast, we wanted to understand how the budget can be read if we put on a feminist lens. The Feminist Policy Collective has been releasing its recommendations for the past few years. It is run by an independent network of feminist academic researchers, policy experts and campaigners. I'll put the link of their website in the references. The point of view that Feminist Policy Collective brings to budgeting is useful in gauging what direction our policy is taking. To understand more about gender responsive budgeting, I speak with Dr. Vibhuti Patel. Dr. Vibhuti Patel has been part of the feminist movement in India for decades and is the vice president of the Indian Association of Women's Studies. She retired from the economics department of Mumbai's SNDT Women's University. She also taught at the Tata Institute of Social Sciences after retirement. She is part of the feminist policy collective. Hi, welcome uh, to the show. So, uh, you know what is meant by gender budgeting and Why is it an important tool for governments and policymakers? If you can explain that, and you know how, and how is it followed in India? Yeah, so gender budgeting is not hmm. a separate budgeting, but dissecting the cent- uh, government allocation, the public expenditure from the gender lens, whether it is creating a more enabling environment or disabling environment. In India, our focus is mainly on the five important areas of gender gaps. that we see one is education at all levels say whether it is school education or university education even streams of education because you see ghettoization of girls and women only in arts and commerce while when it comes to the professional colleges which are more and more privatized and more expensive you see that they are they don't get level playing field so that is one education is a very important area second one is a health because india is known to have a very high maternal mortality morbidity and even in, as per the latest nfhs 5 anemia is a major challenge that for indian women uh, and that is not only due to poverty but also to due to gender norms indian women eat last least slept over and child mortality is also quite high and even after the millennium development goal 
uh, we have not we have been able to reduce it to half but still african countries has also moved ahead even other south asian countries have have been ahead of us in this thing third important aspect is employment which is the most uh, distressing reality because right from say from in the year 2000 we boasted of 40% women in the workforce indian women which reduced to say by 2013 it was some 34% and after the nirbhaya tragedy what we saw a drastic decline and by 2017 we had 23% and during the pandemic it became 19% now government says it's 21% which is miserably low because at the one level ugc is boasting about churning out millions of the women with degrees but why these degrees don't translate into career and employment that's a major challenge and so many studies have shown basically the four reasons one is the Uh, childcare. Then the uh, our uh, population pyramid is becoming top heavy. So we have senior citizens to look after. Twenty uh, states have already become below stabilization. That means couples are producing less than two children. Uh, and the uh, the burden of uh, childcare as well as elderly care falls on women. Uh, third, uh, very important reason is that of automation, mechanization, artificial intelligence. The major X falls on women. Women are the first one to lose the job when such thing happens. And even when the re-employment opportunities happen, it is men who enter into uh, the new field because women are not skill ready, which the new economy requires. And the fourth one is a question of safety, which has become extremely important. Safety from the residents to the workplace, and so many at the workplace also. When 92 percent of women, Indian women, are in the informal sector, that means they have no social security, no social protection. So not only that they get exploited from by by the in terms of not getting minimum wages and all the labor protective labor legislations that they that provide those provisions. but that is it is also sex exploitation sexual harassment at workplace is rampant so these four are most debilitating aspects and that also we need to address not only through budget so fund allocation is important funds functions functionaries are important but at the same time to have a protective policies and creating a very strong structures and and mechanism to to address these issues third fourth one is that of a decision making because in uh, no area if, except for panchayati raj institution where uh, around 20 states have accepted 50% uh, reservation for women and uh, uh, others have 33% kashmir and nagaland have not even implemented prif but uh, when it comes to the upper uh, houses like legislative assembly legislative council parliament lok sabha rajyasabha everywhere where stakes are high power is more there you see very very low percentage of women even as compared to our neighboring countries like bangladesh nepal pakistan sri lanka our percentage of women in those decision making bodies is there leave aside political structures but even in industry and administration governance structures uh, criminal justice system there is a very very miserably low representation of women so decision making that is the fourth area where we need to to bridge the gender gap and the uh, fifth one is the gender based violence the the forms intensity and the numbers of gender based violence increase and during the pandemic we saw that it escalated so much uh, like right from the uh, the new like distress calls which the national commission for women received more than 3 lakh 75000 calls which they received and uh, that itself shows that these are extremely debilitating factors which we need to address by make by by translating gender commitments into 
financial commitments so that we can have uh, funds and functions, functionaries, sensitization program, awareness generation on this issue. Even in G20, we are mm. talking of women-led development. But where are women in the leadership? Even in the finance ministry, you have one woman minister. But all the people who are supporting her, they all are men. They are the ones who are doing the back-end uh, back job no, for her. It is not that India doesn't have gender economists. In fact, the first studies on gender audit of uh, existing budgets from 1991 to 2001 was done by women's studies centers. And they are extremely able, competent uh, gender economists and or even the uh, social scientists who are sensitive to these issues. And that's why the Feminist Policy Collective, which Dr. Jashodra uh, das Gupta, Dr. Saritu Devan, Professor uh, Ms. Renu Khanna, all of them are uh, took initiative in starting this feminist policy collective is to create the and shape the public opinion for transformative change. No, otherwise we only talk about education, health, develop and uh, uh, employment that we have been talking since 1975. But what about dignity? What about freedom? What about justice? No, these are also very important issues. Uh, with, uh, and that's why what we need is a transformative finances, creating macroeconomics, uh, creating a micro uh, assessment of practical gender needs, strategic gender needs, which bring social change, which uh, which make more equality in the gender relations. No, in seeing gender responsive budgeting as an affirmative action for the historical injustices that women have suffered from over the last 5,000 years of patriarchal value system no, and patriarchal control over their uh, sexuality, fertility, labor. So to address this issue, we can use it. it uh, gender responsive budgeting is one tool. There are so many other tools no, of uh, awareness generation policy, coming up with the uh, appropriate policy, evidence-based policies, having uh, policies, having gender desegregated data, which allow us to use our financial as well as human resources in a targeted way so that we can achieve uh, better research. What are the main categories in our governance where, you know, which, which sort of comes under gender yeah. budgeting? Like, how do we sort of... Yeah, huh. it is my... Yeah, yeah. Like we like something like Ministry of Women and Child Welfare is an obvious thing, but and how is it say different from say social sector budgeting? So I think first is the currently like we the first GR about gender responsive budgeting came in two thousand and five, where all ministries and departments of the union government as well as the states and union territories were asked to start gender budgeting process. So currently, around eighteen states are giving gender budget statements. Uh, separate listing of uh, gender commitments uh, that is given by six, seven governments, like all five southern states, uh, and Maharashtra is also given uh, is given separate listing. Uh, the funds which are targeted to women and girls. So funds of women, Ministry of Women and Child Development is hundred percent targeted to women and child children. In other departments, wherever there are anti-poverty programs, development-oriented budget, at least one-third should go to women. The beneficiary should be women. And there are four types of schemes and programs you have. Currently, uh, 54 ministries and departments are submitting gender budget report, quarterly report you have to submit. Uh, they are doing that. So in that, uh, there are 100% allocation, which are the schemes like crash scheme, or a Betty Bachao, Betty Padao, okay, trafficking of women and girls. This is a 100% targeted tool. Then you have a 33, all the flagship programs, 
प्रधानमंत्री आवास योजना और एम जी नरेगा और सर्व शिक्षा अभियान कॉम्पोनेंट द वे वी हैव शेड्यूल कास्ट कॉम्पोनेंट वे वी हैव ट्राइबल सब प्लान कॉम्पोनेंट द वे वी हैव कॉम्पोनेंट फॉर द पर्सन विद डिसेबिलिटी and now even the transgender community and senior citizens and child rights organization are also demanding their share of a pie no so that is there so that they are 33% should beneficiary minimum should be women that is second uh, then third one are gender neutral scheme they are meant for all uh, integrated village development program national rural health mission national urban health mission these are meant for all. women are also women also benefit from that no even transport electricity and fourth one is a residual fund that you have like if we had a disaster management fund okay last year two years we had pandemic and that fund got utilized but this year we don't have pandemic but still there is fund no? so if you are sensitive and if you are careful you will not allow that fund to lapse fund is already parked for this so uh, you can use it if you if you convince the bureaucrat you can make uh, and bureaucrats are able to convince the politicians it, it can be uh, used for gender empowerment so these four types of uh, allocations you have that you have to be very clear about and that's why and because see if fund is parked in the ministry or department and if it is not channelized to the targeted audience group uh, this year if you don't use it next year automatically the fund will get reduced because they said that you have no capacity maybe there is no demand uh, there is no demand from the community there is the, it is not required maybe the, that problem is already addressed that it would be interpreted like that and there will be slashing of fund no so when you say that 30% 30% is allocated so does that actually go to women that's what i was curious about that is what gender economists like us are demanding that when you have the women oriented programs no where the 30% at least goes to women give us because most of the flagship programs on education road construction sanitation uh, transport all of them are flagship programs so that is but sometimes the misuse of fund uh, like a, a channelization of fund in a totally unrelated area for example swadhar uh, nirbhaya fund in maharashtra they used it to buy soup for the mls can you imagine it is meant for the safety of women they, what did they buy i did every year they buy uh, and uh, they they uh, it became a big scandal that how can you use this fund uh, because states after states are reporting 100% non utilization of nirbhaya fund does it mean that women in their women and girls in their uh, states are safe nothing is happening how can any ministry say that we have nothing to do with this no but when such a great amount great numbers of women are getting violated whether it is in the domestic violence or rape or acid attacks or uh, stalking or cyber crime why can't you use the state resources to address these issues create structures me- mechanisms employees counselors uh, and the safety mechanism safety audit safety research on the safety that what what are the unsafe situations and how can we uh, look into it except for cctv camera they are not doing anything and cctv camera only records the crimes <laughs> it doesn't prevent the crime so preventive measures uh, they 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 need to take that no so uh, main thing is not only funds but also the vision commitment 
and also the ideology of the bureaucrats and politicians, whether they believe in genuine women empowerment. Because I remember going for a training program in Gujarat Gender Resource Center in Gujarat, no? And the moment we talked about protection of women from domestic violence act, which needs more fund, because this is one act which has clearly defined role of five service providers. So it is a question of political will. While in Gujarat, when I was talking about it, I was snubbed by the bureaucrat principal secretary, and he says that no. If we start doing all these things, women will start running away. We want women just to be the misogynist and be in the uh, violent situation, or be in the leave, survive, live in the proximity of uh, abuser. Uh, how will you use the fund? You will not use the fund, even if it is allocated. Nearby fund we have no massive funds we have, but how many states have created one stop crisis center? Hardly six. So this is—it's a question of uh, your identification with the issue, your gender responsiveness, gender sensitivity. To what extent you are committed to gender equality and providing safe uh, environment to women and girls to flourish in this society. You know, so that—that that is very important. That's why gender sensitization becomes extremely important. Just to clarify, if there are policies for everyone. 30% is supposed to be allocated for women uh, uh, for the welfare of women right uh, so does this mean that 30% of uh, people who are recipients should be women or you know whoever is employed in that program beneficiaries could be anyone actually long term goal is 50-50 but so many times when you allocate fund people right. are not even ready no so this at least 30% 30% beneficiaries of all developmental initiatives are women like sarva shiksha abhiyan we know uh-huh. that initially uh-huh. in 2000 when sarva shiksha abhiyan came uh, in many many constituencies funds were completely right, right. 100% utilization was there because sarva shiksha abhiyan is a package where not only education and textbook and uniform and shoes and what about very very important component but there so families had their voice and all the child workers uh, they were going to school boys were going to school and their role was taken over okay. by the sisters understood so even when you have a very committed and efficient and non corrupt uh, governance structure this mm. bias is exists they have given an expenditure profile 2023 24 okay so i mean i'll just read out to you just so that i understand what I, what you are saying so there is something called ministry of you know under ministry of new and renewable energy biogas program they have uh, they have you know uh, maybe say allocated 30% of the full budget for women right now do we have any accountability because this is published by the government of india i was wondering whether there are any systems of accountability where you know we can say that acha is this 30% actually being utilized for women beneficiaries do we have those mechanisms it all depends on how active proactive the panchayati raj institutions are there we have nearly 20 states where 50% uh, women are the elected representatives so wherever they are very active backed by the women's groups or self help groups or local organization they are asking for accountability and they are they they say that just show us transparency is important they say show us the jama bandi at the end of the day what is what are the revenues of your constituency whether it's a district or a village level and in many states like in kerala they also have mahila sabha before gram sabha they have a mahila sabha so in this mahila sabha women air their views 
that they took okay, there is a, a, a scheme for renewable energy but we don't get anything we applied for cobalt gas plant but we never got it so this all these things they are collected and they are taken to village council so you must have seen the budget allocations this year right there have been cuts in health nutrition yeah. uh, narega like uh, if i mean you know do you, i mean it would be great if you can talk about some of these cuts and you know how it affects poor vulnerable people especially yeah. women and uh, 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 yeah. women and anyone from the weaker genders and uh, you know more vulnerable gender and yeah uh, like how do we sort of understand these cuts even from a gender lens if if you can you know help us understand yeah so i think the overall social sector budget is only 8.6% of the gdp while 33% has gone for capex what uh, uh, new technology and infrastructure and manufacturing sector msmes and all which would hardly uh, touch women's lives so maybe uh, infrastructure also fly over women generally walk fly over self those who own cars even don't even own any of those automobiles what we need is more footpaths and more uh, safety on the roads no so that women are not molested uh, but when it comes to 8.6% of gdp for social sector Uh, education gets only 2.9% while the national education policy has uh, recommended 6% 2020 policy but it comes to only 2.9% most of it goes for the sarvashiksha uh, uh, abhiyan after that you see more and more private players are there even for the school education so by the time any child uh, reaches 12th standard 25% are left 75% are gone they are forced out people they use the term called dropped out because the language is very important in the whole budget discourse because anything that touches the lives of poor marginalized people women they it they are called soaps or they are called uh, uh, they are seen as a sponge on the economy coming in the way of the fast uh, 3 trillion dollar 5 trillion dollar economy you know so that that kind of and revenue culture so this is how they are tra- marginalizing trivializing and degrading any state allocation government expenditure for those who are at the margin of the economy uh, so is uh, even when it comes to higher education now we have 400 more universities we have 700 universities now we have 1100 universities most of them are private and they are charging bomb right from the school education to uh, college university and professional education has become extremely expensive so that is excluding in fact the next study also shows that after new economic policy which allowed privatization of education there is the ghettoization of women and girls in arts and commerce so the general degree which doesn't get, get you anything in terms of career or in terms of gainful employment when it comes to uh, health needs like who had recommended nearly 10% 10% to all the nation states because of the pandemic but the current the current budget allocates 1% of the gdp and when it comes to food security again 1% because the, the budget has been reduced for the uh, portion scheme also uh, for uh, rural development uh, it is 3.5% of gdp in that also the kisan card who can avail kisan card only those who own land in india only 8% of women have ownership right uh, on land, on paper so that means most of the women who are uh, farmers who are actually the farmers who are 
poor peasants who are marginal farmers, agricultural laborers, whole subsistence sector is looked after by women because men migrate to the cities, no, for for, for cash income. Uh, but they don't get any of the state sub state subsidy, state support for their their, their for, for their, and they have to turn to private money lender. They have to pawn off their gold and sometimes even land, and so they have to depend to the private microfinance who also fleece them. That is, and uh, they have formed their SHGs, and there is a lot of uh, praise of the SHGs because they touch nearly 16 crore households in the rural areas, no? And government has also say allocated big amount, but this amount is mediated by private microfinance, and these private microfinances institution are no different from the saukars which your moneylenders you saw in Mother India, no? That moneylender who were. So they are equally cruel and fleecing. There have been reported cases of women committing suicide in several places because these loan sharks. But what we see is the 95% of the microfinance institutions are there only for profit making. They are not empowering women. So we need to say that it's not only money, but how you utilize that money, what kind of structures and mechanisms you create for empowerment of these poor women, that is very important. Now, coming to question of water, which is extremely important concern. So, even for water and sanitation, the budget comes to 1.7% of the of this thing. And when it comes to health infrastructure, again, only 1.9%. And uh, school education, it is 1.5% of GDP, which are extremely inadequate. Currently, we have 3 crore children and 1 crore girls forced out of school system. This whole thing about the digitalization of education, the digital divide is so sharp that we need much, many more resources if we are and also bring some of the earlier practices. For example, we had a countrywide classroom where uh, that time we had only one television channel, black and white. And in the afternoon from four, 12 noon to 4 p.m., we used to have the best teachers of our country teaching physics, chemistry, mathematics, language, uh, this thing. And, and it was so popular. I have seen all over the country, all you would see children, whether you are in tribal area or in rural areas, everywhere they were using. Uh, they would just sit in front of uh, the like one TV which their village would have at the Gram Panchayat office. They would sit and listen and learn. No? And even the radios, radios had played a very important role earlier at least because we have that culture of Shruti and Shruti right from the Vedas. We all listen and then memorize and then remember. So, so many other subjects, you know, where the narratives are important, they, they, where people turn to, like we got uh, exposure to the best poets and best dramatists and best uh, narrators and storytellers through Akashwani, you know, in our ch childhood. We would just very, with rapt attention, we would sit next to the radio and listen to that. Now, another thing is about the pension scheme, because now government has said that we have a COVID widows and COVID orphans, and we also have like widows, that the pension scheme itself is designed in a totally insensitive way. Different states, are, first of all, it's a centrally sponsored scheme, so the states also have to pitch in. And some states are giving 800, some states are giving uh, 200, and there is a lot of variation. And it, in no way it empowers women. Giving cash in the hand of a person who is hesitant, so powerless, so it, by the, the money goes in the hands of the greedy relatives or the antisocial elements in the area who bully them and all. What we need is a far more uh, uh, qualitative investment in terms of creation of halfway home, career counseling, uh, the meeting place where all these people, uh, women in difficult circumstances, they come together.
it's not only allocation but how you design the scheme that is also very important and also more of a skilling and the economic self sufficiency and the livelihood that should be the criteria of a pension scheme because this only just giving a token money that is a it doesn't change the lives of women and a reduction in food subsidy that is also very very alarming 31% reduction and if you really see the hunger report government is an accept the statistics but it is at a ground level there is tremendous malnutrition and hunger and i'm not talking only about the city cities we can we can see it in the pastis and all but in the villages and the mufasil area if if the uh, food subsidy is uh, wiped out then uh, it is it, it's going to create a very alarming uh, situation another thing government says that 157 157 new nursing colleges that they are going to start which is a very much a demand because in, they also bring foreign exchange because indian nurses are in great demand all over the world not only in the uh, industrialized world but even the africa and so many other countries where there is no there are no medical training is, has not been there uh, they are in demand so middle class is happy because there are so many soaps given to middle class no even the income tax uh, threshold limit has been incre- uh, increased middle class senior citizens for them also it has gone up to i think 30 lakhs no is a threshold limit for the uh, income tax and uh, also oh, the opportunities that they have the financial sector is giving increase in the interest rate and also they they are uh, happy but the organizations like a schedule cast uh, the dalit organizations adivasi organizations uh, organizations of ai karmacharis Uh, and uh, minorities because the uh, risk there is a massive reduction in the budget of minorities no nearly 38% uh, reduction in the budget uh, and scrapping of post matrix scholarship for the minorities i think that is going to uh, have a very 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 uh, depressing message that uh, the met- uh, india will have only uh, integration of only majority communities in the development and the this is a very majoritarian way of looking at the financial allocation so that message also goes so there is tremendous anxiety among various uh, underserved communities facing intersectional marginalities of caste class ethnicity religion even the disability transgender communities also not happy first of all you have this act which doesn't which takes away all dignity from the transgender persons protection of rights act 2019 which doesn't talk about any developmental investment for the community in terms of education what kind of recommendations do you have for you know the policy makers in the future and uh, yeah. and you know probably what should be kept in mind when we make budgets like you know you can approach it from different angles yeah. but like how do we sort of make it in a way that yeah. is equitable and so i think my major uh, recommendation that we as a feminist policy collective have given is that looking at the post pandemic reality uh, where i think uh, we need to have a extremely gender sensitive and gender responsive budget and first of all that uh, we need to have a, a very uh, these five areas no of uh, education health uh, employment skilling because in all skilling program whether it's a skill skill india stand up india startup india entrepreneurship program nowhere women have a level playing field so i think that there we need a four 
really concrete promise, not only as a platitude or slogan. So that is very important. Uh, the government should allocate 6% of GDP for the education, another 2.5, minimum 2.5% of GDP for uh, health, which is currently it is only 1%. Uh, when it comes to employment, I think uh, this whole digitalization is going to render more, uh, women more and more unemployed, and that's what we have seen. So I think more decentralized uh, craft-based production and uh, employment to women and creating a, a very gender-friendly environment in the uh, manufacturing MSME, because in MSMEs also, like now you hardly see new recruitment of women, uh, social security and social protection of women in the farm sector. Uh, to, to, and, and main thing is registration of women who are in the farm sector. That's extremely important. And uh, for women, 92% of women in the workforce are in informal sector. So the implementation of the uh, Unorganized Sector Protection of Rights Bill uh, Act 2008 and uh, abolition of the labor courts, which uh, labor courts don't even mention women. Okay, even sexual harassment at workplace is not mentioned, which is so rampant. And only for maternity benefits, they have mentioned women. Otherwise, the full language of labor code is also in terms of he, him and his, no? as if women don't exist. And also the PMKVY or NTL, and uh, small and medium scale industries everywhere quota for women. So that's very important. The loan, all the nationalized banks should be given uh, mandate that they have to give loans to women entrepreneurs and even micro entrepreneurs. So that is uh, uh, very important. And uh, Nirbhaya Rashi should not be, there should be clear cut uh, plan and the statement should be made about how Nirbhaya fund will be used. Even Betty Bachao, Betty Padao Fund, that also needs very planned expenditure. Not that we will get the proposal and we will expand. From the very beginning, you plan it. How much will go for girls' education? How much will go for the hostel? How much will go for the uh, skilling uh, of these girls for a vocational training? How much will go for the adolescent girls who have dropped out of school system because they can't cope up with science, maths, and English? So that kind of plant fund, as you have in so many countries, they have it. Once you have a plant fund, you use it, no? Otherwise, you just wait for the proposals from the state, because, and state would never give it because it's a centrally sponsored scheme. 60% center will give, and 40% state will give. Now, state, first of all, after the GST, major chunk is going to the center. States are already, their backs are broken with managing COVID for two years. Most of the state budgets are run on deficit financing. And in that case, so not many states are going to give the matching grant. The housing program needs to be taken up very seriously by the several ministries, not only Ministry of Urban Affairs and Rural Development, but also the Housing Finance or this thing, Slum Rehabilitation Authority. All of them have to take equal interest and converge all the resources that you have. And the question of gender-based violence, I think that needs to be taken more seriously. And uh, the Mission Shakti Fund, which has uh, two aspects, one is Saksham and one is uh, that is for enabling women uh, to get integrated into economy uh, okay, and, and uh, some else, so for women in distress. So I think that fund, of Mission Shakti Fund also needs to be judiciously spanned because most of the time when we gender economists demand more funds, the answer we get is the first utilized fund. Why should uh, funds allocated for gender concerns remain unutilized. 
why should some states have used two thirds, some states have used one third, some states have not used them at all, they have not even submitted the gender budgeting demand for grants. That should not happen. So the political will, accountability and transparency, they are extremely important to make it effective. And the SCST minorities, persons with disabilities, transgender, they should get priority and their leadership should be consulted uh, in terms of creating demands for grants and how the schemes and programs and uh, scheme and uh, this thing, budgetary allocation would be made. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now.